Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. It was the kind of moon that I would want to send back to my ancestors and gift to my descendants, so they know that I too have been bruised by beauty. Welcome to Elevations, the 160th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of poet Sonobar Khan. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And now it's kind of old hat that he's back, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was, Two I, episodes in a row. I was <laughs> All right. Ode Carr is back again. I was kind of impressed that we got, like, the standard intro all the way through I know. again. I didn't, like, like, <laughs> I didn't have to think, what the fuck am I supposed to say? To be honest, I was a little concerned when he was complaining about his knees. Uh-huh. Earlier. Yeah. I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> we got one episode. Got one episode, and it's gonna be another fucking month. <laughs> but he I'm made sorry, it. I'm slowly breaking. <laughs> but he made it. He, he made, made it up the stairs again. So this is good. Yes. So let's start with housekeeping, because I know Gwen has some stuff she wants to cover. Yeah. Well, housekeeping in what Jackson and I did this weekend. Yes. We went to the Grand Rapids Pagan Pride Day, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. We had a good time. It uh, was the first one after COVID, obviously, because they had to cancel well, last year. The first one mid-COVID? Mid-COVID? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say now what with things starting to surge again. Yeah, Co- COVID is continuing. COVID is continuing. But it's the post-lockdown. Yeah, right, post-lockdown. Yeah. Pretty well attended, actually. And it is their 21st year, so that was nice. There were some things that were, you know, they had a little, some struggles mm-hmm. with. Um, they didn't have signage, yeah. so it was hard to know where things were at or... The schedule for classes and, and entertainment was a little thin, mm-hmm. but I did and a little get, hard to follow because I think you mostly you said they mostly just had criers. Yeah, and or your phone. You could you you could have access a schedule of events and classes on your phone, but that was a little hard to do on the phone, at least for me. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of vendors with some really nice things, and of course they were collecting food for Feeding America and uh, for their food bank the of West Michigan, and they collected 386 pounds of food and $175 cash nice. for a donation. So that was nice. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't have a food truck there this year, so apparently nobody volunteered to have a food truck. So, so you we, couldn't eat at the event. Eat at the event <laughs> or get bottled water. We had to go out to do that or bring it with. But uh-huh. So it was just minor little, quality of life stuff. Yeah, those kind of things. But otherwise, I had a great time. The weather was gorgeous. Um, I went to a very interesting class that was called Traditional Methods of Creating Safe Magical Space mm. by A.C. Fisher Aldag. And I'm going to be talking a little bit more about her in just a second. I went to a really beautiful ritual that was put on by the Pagan families and friends of West Michigan, they did this really beautiful heathen ritual, which was honoring the dead who had passed, you know, who had crossed over. And of course, the, the deities and 
things like that. It was just really beautiful. And I was able to honor my mother and my dad and my, my brother. And they had this gorgeous longboat mm-hmm. model that they were going to burn in the lake, but fuck the city of Grand Rapids. They said, no. <laughs> you know, I can understand. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So they're going to burn it later. But we were able to do pails mm-hmm. and you'd be proud of me. I did a post. Oh. And <laughs> so that was beautiful. And then there was a Maven ritual around the middle of the afternoon that I didn't actually attend, but I kind of watched a little bit from, from uh, afar. And they did talk about Maven at Modron. <laughs> his, My boy. His myth, which was very cool. And then overall, it was just a nice day. It was really beautiful, well attended, and we had a good time. Excellent. Yeah. And so now I'm going to talk about... Right. Because I went to her class. You went to this class. And uh, A.C. Fisher-Aldag wrote a book called Common Magic, Origins and Practices of British Folk Magic, which is what her class was based on. She was okay. talking about... Uh, so it was about, how to, it was about how to create safe space using those traditions. Yeah, using... British folk magic tradition. It, it's uh, it's a really interesting book because it's really not British traditional like Wicca. Like mm-hmm. you would, it's uh, it's not Gardnerian, right? Exactly. It's the it's the folk traditions and magic and things that and uh, tales and all these things that have been handed down over the generations through families, through songs, through dance, and uh, all kinds of things through British culture, Scottish culture. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of brought all that together in this book to explain how this uh, concept of British folk magic uh, is practiced today. Mm-hmm. And it's not really, I mean, you could call, you can call it a tradition, but it's, I don't know. It's more like a collection of superstitions and stuff. Yeah. I guess you could say that. Um, but she goes into a lot of really great history. She mentions the types of what we would call superstitions, mm-hmm. but are actually she believes, and other people in the British folk magic groups and traditions believe that they were actually could have been spells or or things that have been passed down and remembered through riddles and songs and dances, and, right? You know, that weren't academically recorded, right? But were just passed down yeah. uh, through family ritual or just family folklore mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And so, the, it's a really interesting book. It has history. It has examples of the types of tools used in uh, British folk magic in the way she's discussing um, different types of spells you could add. And she also, and I asked her in her class, and she said it's not something that is, like, closed. You know, it's not like a, they it don't have, really, like, really, levels. It really couldn't be. No, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not like Gardnerian or, or that kind of yeah. British traditional. It is folk magic that anyone could add to their own practice it was it's a very interesting book so i would recommend although i would be i would be interested to know like how much of it applies outside of britain and scotland and Mm -hmm. and the areas where it was born and took root right i do think most of it is not unlike wicca and, Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of things were picked from from british folk magic and and things like that i think a lot of those things are specific to their areas their regions of Ireland and Scotland, and this are this is her heritage that she's learned from her own family and things like that. So it, it's just a very interesting book. I recommend picking it up. Um, there's some some things that you can, if you're interested, you can add to your own practice to kind of you know deepen your understanding of even just of what we would call superstitions. Other people might call superstitions that are really traditional folk magic. So it's interesting. How many stars? I give it four. It's an easy read too. It's not. It's not a hard book to read. 
and she it's laid out very nice. Good bibliography. Mm-hmm. She does have I don't I don't know if I'd say it's a bibliography, but she's got lengthy notes at the end of each chapter. So is she listing her sources? Yes, or? yes, okay. where she's listing all her sources. So instead of like a traditional bibliography, mm-hmm. all of those resources are listed at the end of every chapter. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting way to do it. Okay. Yeah. Anything else we need to cover in housekeeping? Do we have any new patrons? Midnight Dove. Thank you. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Swan says, ooh, nice name. And I agree, Midnight Dove. Great that name. is a beautiful name, and we thank you. Mm-hmm. So I believe we are housekept and housewept. We're going to be discussing the elevation of ancestors in this episode. Uh, another suggested topic, as mm-hmm. most of them are going to be from moving forward. Yes. There's a bunch of suggestions mm-hmm. on Facebook, Facebook. as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually went on Facebook and pulled it up. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Are you okay? <laughs> I was going to, like, like collect them all in a PDF, but I'm impressed. No, no. I went on the Facebook. I was like, I can find this post. <laughs> I am proud. Well, I also pinned it to the top. Yeah, so that made it easier. <laughs> it becomes desperate. So <laughs> When I log into the Facebook, you know. The Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I don't do anything else on Facebook. I go to our group on Facebook. All right. Well, first of all, we should probably define what it means to elevate yeah, what we're talking ancestors about. Or, or leaders or, or people. Yeah. And we have touched on it in previous episodes. We have. We mentioned it probably in our in our ancestor, mm-hmm. uh, working with ancestors episode and things and like that. And new gods. New yeah, gods. talked yeah. about it there. But it is not a complex topic necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, sort of a broad topic. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different ways to do it and a lot of different sort of goals you can have mm-hmm. along the way and sort of different kinds of elevations. And different traditions and religions that might do it different ways, yep. including Christianity, believe it or not. The elevation of, a, of an ancestor can be applied to either, to sort of two categories, right? Mm-hmm. So the first would be the troubled dead, ancestors who you know were angry or depressed or who you had had like a break with or who did heinous crimes or whatever, you know, people who in life were problematic mm-hmm. and therefore you might have some qualms about having at your ancestor altar. Uh, and then there's the mighty dead who are usually in paganism or in, in witchcraft, the ancestors who we think of as, as having some sort of power or authority. Mm-hmm. They can act as guides right. or assistants. And often they had some kind of power Guardians. or authority in life, which mm-hmm. has transcended with them into death. Right. Darian asks, would you also put substance abuse in that category too, uh, with the trouble to dead, like shame around that? Yeah. Uh, anything anything that could, that could cause an ancestor that could cause you to have difficulty working with an ancestor or that could sort of suppress an ancestor's power and ability to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And elevation is an appropriate process for working with the troubled dead. Car? Well, I mean, I have one of both. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my father and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Your father would definitely be among the troubled dead, right. I would say. And your grandfather, we could definitely consider among the mighty dead. Right, right. So... I'm going to let you explain further, but mm-hmm. I would not even consider elevating my father. You this so that yeah, this is an important point. You are never under any obligation to elevate your troubled debt. Okay. In good. fact, you can't. My opinion is you can't undergo an elevation ritual for the troubled dead without coming from a place of mercy and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So. If you emotionally are not capable of forgiving, especially an ancestor that you knew who harmed you, mm-hmm. like at elevation is not an appropriate ritual. <laughs> elevation is for when you're ready to put those things to rest, right? Gotcha. And, and you want to help 
your ancestor so after move I into that process mm-hmm. with you, right? Right. Um, but it's not so, it's not something you do if you can't forgive the the ancestor in question. Now, in the topic that we're talking about, is this also related to elevation of individuals or whatever to deification? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just and wanted to make sure. And sainting and things like that. We're going to cover. Sainting. Yes. Okay. This is why I said it's a very broad, broad topic. topic. Because cause, cause there are two sort of different kinds of elevations. Right. Exactly. So I just wanted to make sure that what we were talking about, I was like, is there another word? Yeah, no. They're both. They're both called elevations, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I said there's sort of the, the right. two categories. You've got elevations of the troubled dead and elevations of the mighty dead. You right. generally are not elevating one of the troubled dead through a process of deification or apotheosis. Fair. But one of the mighty dead, you might be. For instance, I learned, which is not surprising at all, that in India, the people of India have, or at least the people that she worked with, have elevated Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. She was elevated to, I believe, to a sainthood status in the Catholic in the Church. Catholic yes. Church. Mm-hmm. But the Hindu people that she worked with had elevated her in have their elevated own. her in their own religion to God uh, status. To I don't know if it's a God status or or what it is exactly, but they've elevated her mm-hmm. to a, a, a place of honor, uh, a position of a position, spiritual authority, spiritual authority and honor. Mm-hmm. Well, and we attended uh, a ritual at. Maybe it was Michigan Pagan Festival. Uh, one of the things we go to, the elevation of Tichuba. Yes, yeah. yes. And I've, I've referenced that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you really think about it, it it was a, a, a beautiful thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she is, through this elevation, she is observed or believed to right. be the first witch. Right. The America, mother of witchcraft. The mother of American, American witchcraft. witchcraft. Right. Right. Because whether she was a witch or not, mm-hmm. she was accused of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she suffered greatly and for it. And she suffered greatly for it. It was a beautiful ritual. And uh, at the end, to be able to call her witch mother mm-hmm. was a real honor. It's happened twice. Yes. The first one was at Michigan Pagan Fest, and Miriam was there. Yes. Who was the head of the New Orleans yes. Voodoo Temple. Mm-hmm. The second one, I believe, was at Convocation. Right. And that one was just Baba Teddy and Witch Doctor Uchu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So. And I believe, I don't know if I've, I think I may have seen, although I could be wrong, they may have also at some point done a uh, elevation of Harriet Tubman. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, yep, they did yeah. also do it. We didn't attend that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we but. attended. But, and again, that you know, she is she is an honored, mm-hmm. uh, mighty dead. Yeah, she, oh, yeah. You know, she... Oh, very mighty. <laughs> very, very mighty. And uh, if anyone deserves to be elevated Mm -hmm. you know and there are some places in the u.s where we already have statues of her Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. very large murals painted Mm -hmm. Um, and you could feel the vibe oh yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so she's believe one of them's in baltimore which dr utu was just posting that there are pictures that i believe baba teddy and kate made of both harriet tubman and i think sojourner truth possibly Mm -hmm. That have been on display at um, the railroad, you know, Underground Railroad Museum in mm-hmm. Ni- Niagara. Gotcha. Right? Uh, on the Canadian side, where they, you know, they honor and mm-hmm. uh, yep. respect these amazing well, legacies. It, it was kind of the end of the, yeah. the yeah. railroad getting. It was one of them. States. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, multiple. Yeah. Technically, yeah, several railroads. Yeah. Yeah. But but that gives you an idea of like of a of a person who has done great works like. Harriet Tubman, like Sojourner Truth, like Mother Teresa, you know, these are, these are people that we, you know, like the Catholic Church will, will elevate them to sainthood. Yeah. Uh, these types of people. Yeah. The process of sainting is, although more political in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, mm-hmm. because you have to 
meet certain uh, criteria, criteria that have been, been established by the Vatican and right. certain like miracles yeah. and things. Although that process is, like I said, more political and more structured, right. it's it's a very similar it's concept. It's a very similar concept the, of elevating a, a normal human being to a higher spiritual status right. of authority. They, I was reading also, that's how the mother of Jesus, Mary, mm-hmm. uh, became elevated into, I guess, by a sect of Christians in maybe the 300 AD. And it just kind of... And it just kind of stuck. Saints and Catholicism, as I understand it, are not considered to be divine themselves, but they're intercessors for divinity. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sort of bridge the gap. And I think that really depends on... Where, how, how you engage yeah, with them. Yeah, how you engage with them. Because I think there are a lot of people who look at them as minor deities, if for lack of a better right, term. Right, because if you, I mean, if you have a particular saint who is the patron of something important to you, mm-hmm. and you're praying to that saint and asking for that saint's intercession, does it really, well, I mean, what difference does it make whether they have the power themselves or whether they get that power through God, they're the one listening to you and providing the right. assistance, right? Exactly, yeah. And they're the ones receiving the whatever yeah. offerings, mm-hmm. you know. Or I don't remember what it is. I think blessing. it's a St. Stephen statue that you bury upside down in your yard in order Something to help like you sell that. your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of... But then also think about some of the uh, religions such as voodoo. Voodoo, hoodoo, Santeria. Santeria. Um, African traditional religions and indigenous religions in South America and practices um, have similar elevation. Mm-hmm. They don't always call it elevations, but they, okay. they do similar processes of working with uh, ancestors. Well, you notice a lot of them use the Catholic saints because the Catholic they Church so mm-hmm. tried so fucking hard to convert them. They do. That they just took that part of it and ran with it and it's, kept all the rest of their stuff. Elevations of ancestors are very common in diasporic communities where people have been cut off from the physical remains of their ancestors, often by force. I haven't been able to find any scholarship on this. I don't know if it's been studied, but I would not be terribly surprised if part of the reason elevations are so built into those practices, into those traditions um, and part of the reason those traditions have such strong practices of ancestor veneration and ancestor work in general is that that they were diasporic, that they were cut off from their roots, from and, their history, from and their, their history, traditions, and and had those traditions taken from them and and attempted to have them erased. That working with ancestors spiritually and elevating their ancestors and and focusing on that would be a way for them to reconnect with those stolen heritages. I remember there was a, a documentary I saw that had, it was somewhere in Asia, a population of people, a small village, they had amended their form of ancestor worship mm-hmm. based on their funerary practices. They basically, they they keep the body of the person who has passed in state, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, in their home. Like it can, for some people, it can be up to 20 years until they can afford an official funeral Mm -hmm. and then have them installed at the temple as an honored ancestor. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. They don't even bury the person. No, they just mummify them. Basically. Until they, until they can be elevated. Yeah. And then I I think they make, they, I think they do, once they finally can bury them, 
they, they put, make a cast, they make a cast or some kind of a, a you keep around the home. They're set up as it's part of a shrine and it's they're elevated. Yeah. yeah. But it had something they they were cut off as you were saying mm-hmm. from their original practices, and I think they said um, they had to even change how they make final image uh, and what they were meant to represent. But originally they were meant to represent protectors of the family and mm-hmm. honored dead. I think, therefore I am, <laughs> um, that a lot of that in the, some of the smaller tribes and that kind of stuff that are somewhat cut off from the rest of the world, that that's happened because that's how they did it from just being people, right? So as a, as a people group, like when a king would die, that king would get raised to right. godlike status. And a lot of those kings already had like a I am descended from Correct, divinity. right, yeah. Now I do I do have a weird question for you. Okay. I don't know if there's a great time to cover it, so we're gonna cover it now. <laughs> okay. I'm back. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Al says, yes, car's weird question time. <laughs> Rastaf- Rastafarianism, okay. which is a Jamaican religion. Right. I'm passingly familiar. Yeah, okay has put as their god, Haile mm-hmm. Selese, who was the king of Ethiopia, okay. based off of one Bible verse. The, um, the Christian Bible? The Christian Bible. Bible, yep. It's Psalm 6831 that says, Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Okay. And so they have, Haile Selese is to the Rastafarians, God incarnate. How do you feel about that since... Most of the the Rastafarians are Jamaican, uh-huh. raising no, to no Godhead between Jamaica and, and Ethiopia. Ethiopia, right? So raising to Godhead, a former king of Ethiopia. Well, I would say how I feel about it is kind of irrelevant because I'm not neither yeah. Jamaican nor Ethiopian right. nor Rastafarian. But um, so I, I I believe the elevation and the, the deification, the the apotheosis of ancestors is not just possible, but relatively straightforward, like relatively, I wouldn't say common, but not like spiritually difficult. So, I mean, I don't know how an Ethiopian person would feel about it, but how I would feel about it is just sort of congratulations on your new deity. (laughs) My whole thing is I figure whoever in was the leader of the Rastafarians who Mm -hmm. created the religion, he must have had a reason for choosing this particular king Rather, um, right. Well, why was based this, on this verse. Was this the guy who was king at the time that that was written? Yeah, Haile Selassie was still around then. So okay. he actually visited Jamaica in 1966. And 100,000 Rastafarians rushed his airplane and would not allow him to deplane until they had smoked enough ganja to make it safe for him. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, so, so I assume they have a reason for, for choosing this king or believing this. And so if they want to elevate him to godhood, that's fine. <laughs> I guess, you know. Right. I, they maybe shouldn't have harassed him while he was alive. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Never rebuke them for considering him to be okay. a god. So, okay. so, so yeah. he sort of accepted this, accepted right. yep. this yep. role in their, in their religious yep. process. Right. Now, Rhiannon Gray says, okay, I vaguely remember watching a similar documentary to what Gwen described. Was it the Taraja people of Indonesia? Yes, I do believe that is who it was. That sounds right. It's been over a year. And we watched you watch, a, they watch a lot of documentaries. We watch a lot of documentaries, and we watched this one during COVID. Mm-hmm. So, no. so it's in the blur of... <laughs> it's in a blur of documentaries. But it just I remember it standing out to me because one family that they were that they were documenting in this film, they had waited 20 years to be able to elevate 
their honored dead. I think it was a yeah. grandmother because they hadn't had the money. They're very, very poor. Right. Controlled. I don't know if it's controlled by the government when they can have it, you know, they have to pay somebody. Right. But then it's this huge, I think part of it is too, it's like huge village wide. Lavish affair. You know, like lavish seven day affair. affair seven, yeah. You got to be able to feed everybody and house everybody. And, you yeah. Know. And it's their, all of their family. So they come yeah. from all over the they country. Oh, so maybe yeah. it's just that they have just to be able getting to getting everyone just, to right. getting it, you know, so it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a seven day festival. Yeah. But in the meantime, they have for all their, and it's a very tiny little village, mm-hmm. uh, but for all their dead, they, they mummified the body. Until and the then, opportunity arrives. Until the opportunity. And they go, they continue to go to that, to that person, mm-hmm. ask them questions, ask them for blessing, mm-hmm. guidance, give them, you know, put flowers on them, that whole kind of thing. So Swan, Swan, Swan asked, Swan. can we stop anyone from ascending someone to be, to Godhood? Do as you will after all. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like, I think there probably has to be a critical mass of mm-hmm. worship, right? Before it works, as it were. But, like, there's probably enough Rastafarians for it to work. Right. I think, like, if 12 people decide they want to ascend someone to godhood, they're probably not going to succeed. But if 12,000 do, mm-hmm. like, 12,000 worshipers. And no, I don't think there's, like, how are you How are you going to stop that? Right. Yeah. Just don't worship them. It's not your business. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it comes down to, are you upset about a particular individual? Are, are you afraid, like, Hitler is going to be, you know, to be deified? To be deified well, by I mean, the Nazis? Possible. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, but again, that's... That's them, not us. That's exactly, them, and it's, us. that feels like a question where your concern is sort of the cosmological balance, right? Like, the, the, the constitution of available gods. And there's always going to be gods you don't agree with that other people worship. Yeah, if someone deifies Hitler, I think that's shitty, and I'm not going to work with deified Hitler. Mm-mm. But like, I don't, I don't think a deified Hitler is going to substantially change the makeup of the universe. Now, I think if you're talking about an individual in your family who you don't think should be elevated to uh, the honored dead, mm-hmm. I think that's a. But in that case, you still have to deal with your living family members to figure that shit out. Right. right. You, you can't put a a, more, a no elevations moratorium right. on an ancestor. Exactly. Right, right. I mean, I could definitely see, like, you know, my stepsister elevating mm-hmm. my father. I doubt that'll actually happen, but... Right, but um, if she was but, a pagan who right, was right, doing right, that right, kind exactly, of work... Right, Yeah. So mm-hmm. that would be... I wouldn't want to know about it. Right. You wouldn't want to <laughs> engage with right. that process. Right. Or, or really even know that she had done it, mm-hmm. <laughs> necessarily, but... Right. And there's not a lot you could do about it if she did one. Right, exactly. Right. Yep. Join our Tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all paths. They offer unique gifts and tools for altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard will create it. Contact them at treewizardcreations at gmail.com, follow them on Facebook, or find them online at treewizardcreations.com. That's tree. W-Y-Z-A-R-D creations.com. Kitty R says, I just had to learn all about the Ascended Masters from Theosophy, which is similar to Elevation and whatnot, and to me, some of the selections got weird. Oh, she was Joan of Arc, then Elizabeth I, and then Benjamin Franklin, and now she's Edna, and she's ascended as her final form. So, elevations are not the same thing as reincarnations. Yeah. And how 
Elevations and reincarnations interact is 100% up to your personal gnosis. Elevating one of the dead is not like granting them a better reincarnation form. Right. It's literally just sort of raising their spiritual potency yeah. as one of the dead, yeah. as an ancestor. Right. Darian asks, possibly a weird question, but would elevated dead also be like household name folks like Kurt Cobain, Manson, etc.? Yeah, probably. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, there's there are certain people I currently put on my ancestor altar in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, my right. head ancestor. Mental, my mental. mental ancestor altar. Prince, mm -hmm. David Bowie, that kind of stuff. I um, actually know someone who worships David Bowie as a god. Right. As yep. a deity. Yeah, and so... You know, if I was so inclined, I could take that to the next step and go beyond ancestor altar. Because as we've talked about in our ancestor thing is they don't have to be blood related. Yeah. Right. right. Quite honestly, lots of times chosen family is way better than born family anyway. Darian says, you know, includes Manson in that Manson was already deified by his followers when he was alive. Basically, unless them. unless Darian means Marilyn Manson. That's true. Awesome. That's a good point. Um, I went or multiple Mansons. There's multiple Mansons. He was already deified. Right. A lot of cult leaders are. By his, yeah, just yeah. like Jim Jones and some right, of these yeah. others. If they still have followers, now to this when day, yeah, now when all of their worshippers die out, right, then I think they get forgotten, as so many gods have been. Yep. Yeah, and then who knows what happens? You know, 300 years later, when somebody Someone rediscovers, find, yeah, them, rediscovers yeah. it and yeah. brings it back, yeah, and that's kind of what a lot of us are doing when we're trying to, you know, redevelop. Yeah, reconstruction. Reconstruction, reconstruction is yeah. basically that. Yep. Yep. And we're looking at fragments, which 3,000 years from now, fragments is all that will be left right. of us. Yep. And we can't control which fragments it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we can't guarantee that all of our internet and our books and yeah, it's all going to be it's all going to be here 3,000 years from oh, now. Yeah. 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 You know, we have no idea what the future can hold or how what society will look like or how it's going to develop. Our I mean, podcast will eventually just be carried on a stream of light that people will be able to reach <laughs> up and grab out of the air and pull into their earwig and it'll be fine. It's entirely possible. Right. Uh, and Rihanna says, just bring it all back to our boy Dictinus. Could be new, could be just a rediscovery. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's right. Yep. And we have no way to know. There's, there's no, no evidence of a deity called Dictinus that we are, have been able to find. Nope. Doesn't mean that there wasn't a, a Dictinus under that or another name. Yeah, Rand and Grace, there's lots of nameless gods out there. And that's mm -hmm. absolutely true. Yep. Having discussed, I guess, the the general concept of elevation, mm -hmm. the two kinds of elevation. Correct. Elevations of the troubled dead to a less troubled state and of the mighty dead to a even mightier state. <laughs> yep. We might want to cover sort of what that process looks like. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's a little different for every tradition that does it. Yeah, different religions, different traditions. Mm -hmm. They're going to have different ways of handling it. Handling it. Mm -hmm. Like, again, going back to Catholicism, right. you know, they have a process of elevating a person to sainthood. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, do they still have a, a way to elevate people out of purgatory? There used to be, like, you could pray people out of purgatory. That's a form of elevation. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's an elevation of a troubled dead yeah, instead of an elevation of the mighty dead. Exactly. It's a troubled dead. So people, I don't know if that's still a thing in the Catholic Church or not. Of course, back in the day, what, what brought about the Protestant Reformation was that the church was selling ways right. to, to absolutions. get absolutions or whatever they called it to, to raise people out of purgatory. But I think you can still, I think people can still do that for 
children who died in childbirth unbaptized. or unbaptized or people who were... Right, the virtuous pagans, I believe, <laughs> going, to, going to purgatory. <laughs> Those kinds of things. That's a form of, of elevation, for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah. I think, honestly, I would imagine the Mormons baptizing the dead, mm-hmm. uh, which they claim they don't do anymore, is a form for them of elevation. Yeah. Because they all believe right. they, they're, they're all... They think they're doing the right thing. Well, and they all believe they're little gods. So, you know, that's part of their, that's part of their tradition is that they all are. Every new thing I learn about Mormonism is shocking (laughs) to me. I don't have any idea how they would do it in India. No, Uh, I'm not familiar. Most of the the types of elevations I'm familiar with are from the diasporic ATRs and Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, South American traditions. And there's sort of. The, the beginnings, the edge of a, a an ancestor elevation practice in heathenry, and that mostly comes from Kraskova, so we got to give it the mm-hmm. hard stare. But I've noticed some similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, each one has a, a unique perspective on how the process works, but some common elements, I guess I would say. There's almost always candles lit. Mm-hmm. And the light is part of the elevating process. The light, the candle has to stay lit the entire time. It's usually multiple days between three, seven, and nine days on average. Mm-hmm. There's almost always water placed out for the spirits to draw energy from. And at the end of the elevation ceremony, there's usually a, a food offering or a meal mm-hmm. with the newly elevated ancestor. And it does include, especially in voodoo hoodoo, uh, and in some of the some of the other ATRs, which is African traditional religions, there are a lot of songs and things read. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of the way ATRs developed in America, at least, um, mm-hmm. out of the slave trade. And a lot of sort of the original information for those practices was lost. And so they substituted in all the Catholic shit that the, mm-hmm. the slave owners were using, right? Mm-hmm. But then a lot of it is because your ancestors... Going back several generations now, we're probably Christians. Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. in, in a lot of cases, it's most appropriate when working with an ancestor to use what's, their religious framework. Exactly. What's comfortable and familiar for them. And I know that a lot of pagans have said, you know, is it okay for me to work with a Christian ancestor? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think as long as you're honoring their belief structure mm-hmm. and they're willing to work with you. Then... Like when I work with my great, great grandparents. Mm-hmm. I don't do it pretending that they were heathen. No, no. I do it, my framework for working with them is heathen. Mm-hmm. But I acknowledge that their framework was Christian. Christian, yeah. And so their perception of the world was built on those values. Mm-hmm. Working with them is a matter of trying to sort of find commonalities between my values and their values. I've not found them offended to be, to be worked with through a heathen framework. Mm-hmm. And in part that's because ancestors sort of naturally want their descendants to do and be well. Mm-hmm. But like if I got a specific request to read a psalm or include a crucifix or something on my ancestor altar or, or in a particular work, I would do that because the ancestor altar isn't for me. Right. It is for them. Right. right. Elle says it's like Oda always says, just ask. Yes. Yep. And then listen to the response you get. It does come down to that. Ask yeah. and then listen. Anitza says, sorry for the potentially repetitive question as I am working as I listen. But a genuine curiosity on any thoughts regarding consent and elevation. I remember in a previous episode talking about the ability to gain consent from a deity, for example, to work with them in a certain way, and that you need to be open to the fact that they they may not be willing to work with you. How would you characterize this in terms of elevation? Maybe someone does not want to be elevated. Has anyone experienced this? 
and again, like it can be as simple as just asking just to listen. Ask. But I think that is again something that you need to consider and and to bear in mind when you're considering elevating an ancestor. Well, I, I, either kind of ancestor, right? Like a troubled ancestor, right. maybe so troubled that they don't want help. Mm-hmm. A mighty ancestor might be happy with the position that they have, right? Mm-hmm. And not want to be elevated beyond that because they feel it takes them farther away from the people they work with, right? right? And I think in a, like in a, a ritual like what we witnessed with the elevation of Tichiba and uh, the elevation of Harriet Tubman, which mm-hmm. we didn't witness, I think if there was a resistance to that, it, it would, would be, it would affect the ritual. It would affect the ritual. Yeah. Her presence would not be felt. Right. Exactly. And right. let it me would, tell it you, it would be an empty ritual. And let me tell you the one for Tichaba that brought tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, I think of that, if she had rejected that, mm-hmm. if she didn't want to be witch mother right. or considered America's first witch or to um, have our or attention or at all, or to have our attention at all. I think you're right. I think there would have been a resistance. I think her presence just wouldn't have been there. Right. Um, if you've ever, so sometimes this happens. You do a ritual and like, it's just not on. Right. It just doesn't feel right. The energy is just not there. It's not even that the energy is wrong or or like off or or sour or anything. It's just that there's no energy being generated. Right. Right. And sometimes that's because whoever you called in just didn't pick up the phone. Yep. They're right. just not interested. And I think in, in the cases of elevations, you can't like summon and bind a spirit to elevate it, right? Right. Those it would kind of go kinda it, it would be against the exactly it would be against the principle of the thing. You can't yeah. do those things at the same time. They're they're naturally contradictory. So you can only invite a spirit to participate in an elevation. You can't force the spirit to be elevated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think it's the same thing working with your ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, you it, you invite them, right? And, and you they, set the you set the boundaries and the ground rules for your mm-hmm. ancestor altar. Like I invite forgotten ancestors that that aren't even mine that just have been forgotten by their own descendants. I invite them to come to my altar and to get some uh, recognition, right? But I do have boundaries up on my altars that, like, my paternal grandfather doesn't come to my altar. He's not welcome there. He knows it, and he doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was one of the questions I had. Like, after I'm dead, would you consider <laughs> with my father? <laughs> so apparently, no. No, no. I have no forgiveness in my heart for that man. <laughs> Zero. Our tiger, Jim Two Snakes, has spent much of the past three decades providing spiritual and emotional support for individuals who are looking for accountability, wisdom, and safe, supportive space while they discover how to walk their own path. Jim is now offering his spiritual dad service in a Patreon structure. This informal program includes regular contact with Jim and specific guidance for what's going on in your life right now, along with a talking stick monthly meeting for some levels and regular phone calls ranging from one to four times a month at other levels. Jim will help you with goal setting, ritual and energetic practice ideas and teaching, suggestions, support, and accountability in whatever it is you want to accomplish. And because it is your path, he will adapt his suggestions to suit what works best for you. It's called Spiritual Dad, but there is no age limit. We all need spiritual and emotional support. To find out more, visit jimtwosnakes.net or patreon.com slash spiritualdad. So is there anything else we need to discuss about elevation? I mean, we can talk about, like, history. I mean, I was looking up apotheosis and deification as uh, definitions. As but historical I was, processes. As historical processes. And I was looking at, uh, like, you know, there were imperial cults and cults of personality. like Very you know, common in Rome. The pharaohs. Yeah. Japanese emperors, Mm -hmm. Chinese emperors, Roman emperors, uh, 
you know, so there was some of the Buddhists. Right, deification has a long history. Yeah. yeah, this kind of elevation, apparently Hitler has been, I'm unsurprised. you know, yeah. by some of his, his sympathizers and, and things, leaders such as Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And it's all, it's all different cultures, mm-hmm. different religions. They may, like we were saying before, they may not call it elevation. Right. It may be. They have different language for they it. They have different language for it. But uh, like, for instance, Homer was was elevated. Mm-hmm. You could even argue from a pagan perspective that Jesus of Nazareth was mm-hmm. elevated. Yeah. In fact, yeah. he's, he's yeah. included in here. Yeah. 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 He, yeah. Was, he was a physical human being. Yeah. Yep. Possibly more than one, who was a revolutionary teacher mm-hmm. and who has been deified mm-hmm. and is now a god who mm-hmm. works with many people. Absolutely. Nitsa, Nitsa asks, would be interested in any of the three of your reflections on if you yourself have performed elevations and why you felt called to elevate beyond working with the being in other ways. What motivated that for you? Yeah, I have not. I have not elevated any of my mighty dead. I, I already have uh, an ancestor tradition that I'm very comfortable working with. And I have other deities to go to when I need that kind of, of power and authority. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't felt compelled to to even invite the elevation of any of my particular mighty dead. I have done a little bit of work with the troubled dead. I would not say I have done elevations for any of the troubled dead. I have done some what I guess I would call ancestral healing work with some of the troubled dead, but I have not, I have not attempted to, nor have I been successful in elevating any of them out beyond the realm of the troubled dead. Um, because it's, this can be a very long process, right? Mm -hmm. Getting, especially the very troubled dead to a place where they're even willing to be elevated out of that condition, Mm -hmm. um, much less able to be elevated out of that condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I really have done that kind of work, elevating either the troubled dead or the mighty dead. When I work with deity, it's deity that is already established mm-hmm. or spirit beings that are already established. Um, I guess you could say in it's not traditional elevation, but when I was working as a medium, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally I would work with uh, spirits who were lost mm-hmm. and uh, help them to cross over, find the, find, the right find, path. find the right path to cross the veil. But that's not really elevation. That's a different kind of situation. Yeah. So I do have a question. Navigating. Yes, navigation. So we've been talking about a mighty dead and troubled dead. Mm-hmm. Dictus. Mm-hmm. Not either of those. No. Mm-hmm. Though we didn't actually do like an elevation with Dictus. No, he sort he, of elevated himself. He elevated himself. Yeah, <laughs> but I, my question is, himself. do you think the pride has elevated him by fleshing out all of his things. I mean, some of the stuff I've read... It's been beautiful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. There's, there's, the been some, been, there's been some... If, if you haven't checked the Dictinus channel on the Discord, the Discord and if you haven't been following... Because I know some of it's also been posted on Facebook. Yeah. If you haven't been following that, you should really look at it because the Pride has, has produced some beautiful work about Dictinus lately. Made me cry. Yeah. Some yeah. of these myths yeah. made me cry. Yes, I would say so. It's a different kind of elevation. It's not the elevation of an ancestor, right? right. It's right. the elevation of maybe a spirit or a minor deity to a higher role. Right. Um, but yeah, I would say the presence of those worshippers and the work that they're doing is an yeah. elevation process. Yeah. 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 It's, not, it's not a structured process. Right. It's not like a ritual that has been done. 
but yeah, it's a, a gradual process of right. elevation, I would say for sure. Mm -hmm. So I guess that goes to show that elevation doesn't have to be a specific ritual. Right. It and can like be said, a process over time. They're different in every tradition that does them. Exactly. Like I said, there are some common elements, the tendency for there to be light and water and for it to take a long time. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> prayer. Prayer. There's a lot of prayer. Lots of words. Um, but there's not like, if you do elevation differently than this, you're not doing an elevation. Right. right? And, I, and I, I don't As long as you are raising the status of the spirit, you exactly. are performing elevation. And I think that's the important thing to remember is that we're talking about the same kind of a very multifaceted multifaceted principle that is present in multiple spiritual modalities religions paths from the major religions to very small indigenous religions mm -hmm. you know that we don't have really um, that we don't know much that about. we don't know much about yeah. because it's an indigenous religion and usually closed and usually closed we're not supposed to know about exactly Rhiannon Gray says, I feel like there aren't only different ways of elevation, but different kinds for sure. Like even an ancestor spirit can eventually elevate themselves through just being remembered by many people. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Rhiannon also had a question. Yes. Uh, so Rhiannon asks, okay, so this ties into my first question a while ago, but what is the basic definition of elevation for y'all? Elevations in its most basic explanation to me just means you're taking an ancestor spirit and pouring power into them to lift them up and allow them to help others help in different ways than before. You can do personal interactions and work with someone who isn't exactly elevated, but once you want to elevate someone, it kind of opens them up for more people to be able to work with them. Well, if you want the technical, I mean... Right. Go ahead and know, give the got, definition definitions yeah, that you have here. Apotheosis can be defined as the highest peak or best part of something, an elevation to divine status. Okay. And deification, obviously, is uh, when a person is treated like a god, a mortal, uh, as godly or the elevation of a person to the status of a god. Right. And that's what we would consider the elevation of a mighty dead. Right. Is when you take someone who was known to be a living human person at one point. Mm -hmm. And who was admired mm -hmm. or had done good things or great deeds. Right. You believe in that they have substantial spiritual power, right? Mm -hmm. And through the process of usually an elevation ritual, but as we were just discussing, it can be more diffuse than that. You, yeah, you give them more power and authority, right? Like your belief that they have more power and authority gives them more power and authority just, just sort of by, I don't know, the metaphysical nature of reality, right? right. Like belief gives things power. And right. the and the more people believe in that thing, mm -hmm. the more which is why power they receive. Which is why you do elevation rituals like the elevation of Tichiba, the mm -hmm. elevation of Harry Tubman. That's why you do those as public rituals. Mm -hmm. And that's why they did it in multiple places mm -hmm. so that more people would have access to this ritual. You do it over this, and over again. Yep. You do it with more and more people. So that more people are recognizing mm -hmm. this individual as being raised up to in the in the to uh, a higher condition. To a higher condition as in Tichiba, mm -hmm. the witch mother, exactly. being given offerings, being asked for blessings, mm -hmm. things like that. And, you know, this was, I think they did it several times. And so that way more people could then recognize it. And and from then on, anyone who works with Tichiba as witch mother yep. is reinforcing that reality. Exactly. Right. right? Exactly. Uh, Rochelle says, like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln yes. and other secular but revered figures. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly like that. Anyone that that sort of a, a critical mass of people, right, sort of agrees is a deity can become one through that process. 
just of, of enough people believing it. Right. But I think there's a difference between, so Schwann said earlier, uh, Santa is real, Satan is real, the boogeyman is real, Bigfoot is real, all because people believe they are. Yes, but I don't know if that makes them a deity or if they've been elevated to that like a godhood status. Right. Um, I think that they're, you know, I think that takes a, another kind of belief. Yeah, there's a difference between like believing in the existence of the boogeyman mm-hmm. as like an ominous spirit mm-hmm. and believing in the existence of the boogeyman as a deity whom you can ask for help from or whom you must propitiate to avoid the wrath of. Right. Right. Those are two distinct flavors of belief. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of that is just a matter of degrees. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly some of those lines can be muddy and there can be crossover and different people might have different beliefs about where that line is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think most people, or at least most people I've spoken to, have sort of a an internal filter for what's a spirit and what's a God. And they might not be able to articulate it, but most people, most people tend to agree on like, this person is a God versus Mm -hmm. this person is a spirit. Right. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that a particular spirit could not eventually be elevated to a deity. Nor does it mean it's not once. So so some people may think of Santa as as a deity deity, where everybody else thinks of him as a spirit. Exactly. And that's fine. Spirit is multifaceted, basically. Yeah, says Raina. exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Yep. Now, the there's a, another element to the process of elevating the troubled debt that I think is worth bringing up here, at least briefly, which is that sometimes the troubled debt... So elevating them requires forgiveness, right? right? But sometimes the person they've harmed is not you, right? right? So your forgiveness is sort of irrelevant, right? Right, like I can forgive my slaveholding ancestors, but... That's meaningless right. because I wasn't someone they enslaved, nor am I descended from someone they enslaved. Right. right. So the process of attempting to elevate a troubled ancestor who did serious harm to someone who isn't you mm-hmm. involves, A, starting with a fuck ton of shadow work, mm-hmm. just an absolute boatload of shadow work to figure out why you want to do this. Right? Are you trying to deal with some of your own internalized shame over being related to this person? Are you trying to deal with some internalized hatred? Are you trying to absolve yourself of, of generational crimes? Are you doing this so that you don't have to do the real work of rooting out internalized racism or sexism or, or imperialism or whatever it is that your ancestor did, right? Address all those problems first. Address all those problems in yourself first, and then you can look to your ancestors' problems. Mm-hmm. And then I think, personally, that especially for ancestors, for troubled ancestors who did serious crimes or participated in seriously harmful actions, I think it is a, a valuable, if not necessary, step to do some real work in the real world to redress the grievances that your ancestors had a part in producing. If you want to elevate an ancestor who you know is a slaveholder, do anti-racist work. Right. Make redress for grievances. If you want to elevate an ancestor who you know participated in or benefited from the genocide of Native Americans, do the work. Reach out to the tribes that you know that they hurt, that they deeply wounded, and don't tell them 
that you're doing this to make yourself feel better. No. Because if you are, go back to the shadow work step. Yeah. But ask what they what you can do that would be useful to them and then do those things. It's the same thing with anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. with the Holocaust survivors and the family members of Holocaust survivors. It's the same type of thing mm -hmm. from a you know from that perspective. And then remember, the descendants of the people your ancestor hurt have no obligation to forgive them. Nope. Or you. Or you, yeah, for, for being just like, they have no obligation to accept your help, to forgive you for what your ancestor did, or to forgive your ancestor for those crimes. They have no obligations to you. You reach out honestly with the intention in of yourself regret. and from your ancestor to redress these grievances. Mm -hmm. Only then do you begin the process of elevating that troubled ancestor. Only when you have done the work. This is not just a frou-frou, make yourself feel better bullshit thing that you do in your own home with some candles and incense. This is a do the work job. Yeah. It's very, it's a very serious thing. It's like when they were, when we witnessed these elevations, these were serious rituals and serious mm -hmm. work that, that was done to honor these people. So you have to take that approach to it, especially if you're doing it for your own family. Al says, ooh, and if possible, drag the ancestor along with you. Yeah, make, <laughs> make them do the work too. Uh, Swan says, I don't know if I feel that accepting my ancestor's shame as my own is right. You don't have to accept the shame of the thing they did, but no. you have to accept the responsibility of making redress for it because no one else is going to. That person's dead, but the harm that they did still has systemic effects today. Mm -hmm. So it is our responsibility as the people who benefit from the crimes our ancestors committed to attempt to redress those grievances. That's our job. You don't have to be ashamed that you are benefiting from these systems because you didn't intentionally create them, but you do benefit from them. So you do have an obligation to do that work. Okay, that's it. Yep. So box so done. <laughs> Is that also episode done? Is that how we're ending it? I mean, I don't have anything else to talk about, so I guess, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just important to remember that when we're dealing with ancestors, we're dealing with, or anybody who is being elevated, they are, they are people who have done good things or bad things, or we, we are dealing with human beings mm -hmm. and we are dealing with the outcome of what their actions may have been. Mm -hmm. And that's why it does require shadow work. If we want to move forward with lifting them out of a place, elevating them, mm -hmm to a place where they are among, right. you know, among the mighty dead, among the mighty dead, or at least invited to your ancestor mm -hmm. altar, you know, given a place at the table, given a place at the table, we do have to be willing to do the work within ourselves to understand why is it that I want to do this to begin with. Yeah. And then if you don't, if it's just to make yourself feel better, just to make yourself feel better then then, you know, don't. Yeah. You can find other things. You to can do. find other things to do and maybe engage in self-care. Yeah. Engage in self-care. And maybe that individual you know, maybe it's not your job, not your work mm -hmm. to, to elevate that individual from your family or your ancestry. Rhiannon said, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I love him and work with him. But even Bowie seriously fucked up in some ways. And I don't agree with the absolution of the pain he caused in life. And I don't think he can be elevated in the same way some want him to be. That's why even Hitler, if Hitler has been elevated in some ways, he'll never actually have godly powers, in my opinion. A, probably wrong to compare Bowie and Hitler, mm -hmm. but no, nobody's perfect, right? Yeah, so everybody's going to require some work on our part. Including all of our deities. Right. Mm -hmm. Go read the stories. Like virtually none of our deities that we have any meaningful mythology for are flawless or have not done harm. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Gods, you can be a god and have done harm. Mm-hmm. That's not a requirement. Actually, I think they all have. Yeah, they like have that's right, yeah. it's not a requirement to do no harm to be a deity or to have the pain you've caused absolved. Odin's done some absolute bullshit, but that doesn't make Odin not a god, right? Right. right, right. So no, I, I disagree with this. I think problematic ancestors can absolutely be elevated into the mighty dead and beyond. They just that just doesn't make them less problematic. And uh, Elle says, recognizing that our heroes, honored dead, are flawed and fucked up is part of the work, in my opinion. And if you can't accept that, that's where the self-reflection comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is going, This it does come down to what do you believe? What do you feel called to mm-hmm. do? Right. Um, yeah. There is no there is no obligation yep. to work with ancestors, yep. to elevate ancestors to elevate uh, people that we uh, admire. Mm-hmm. Right. There is no obligation to do elevation or even participate in an elevation of a person mm-hmm. if this is not Or to do any kind of ancestor work at all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think... Because it can definitely be difficult, messy work. It can be very difficult, messy work. Yep. Exactly. I would not call it, like, uplifting. <laughs> the, the process of elevation is about uplifting, but mm-hmm. it is not like... It doesn't feel good... When you're in the middle of it. If you're Maybe elevating the, someone from, from the trouble, yeah. dead. Maybe at the end it will, but I don't think the process feels good. Yeah, and I think that I think we have to differentiate from the troubled dead to the mighty dead, because there's a there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even our mighty dead mm-hmm. did fucked up shit. Because mm-hmm. they yeah. were human beings at one point and they guaranteed absolutely one hundred percent did something absolutely awful at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of people that we don't necessarily worship, but reflect on as being mm-hmm. great human beings mm-hmm. who are really fucked up individuals. Yeah. I mean, just in our country's history, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson, n- none of those are great people. No, absolutely. So they just happened to... All slave owners, I do believe. <laughs> yes, they were. You know, and they had other issues as well. I think that, you know, honoring them in a way, like A for President's Day or whatever. Right. Not that we all take off work and you no, know, do no. presidential day stuff, but you know, I don't have a problem with that. Rhiannon says, I suppose my thoughts come from the idea that if they cause major issues to a huge amount of people, that it would be nearly impossible due to so many existing who would actively work against the elevation, if that makes sense. Or is that another question entirely? Do you believe spirits can be pulled back down once elevated other than by just being forgotten? No, I don't. You can be forgotten. Mm-hmm. All your worshipers can die out. That's yeah. absolutely a thing that can happen. Yeah. But like, you know, but I, I don't, know that I think there is a way to depower Mm-mm. an entity that has a bunch of worshipers already. But, but yeah. that said, like, I mean, we talked about in multiple episodes about house gods. Yeah. Right. You know, so it's a God that's been elevated for that one household. Yeah. And, you know, when that household dies off or moves away right. to a different, you know, different place and that, that God sort of fades, just kind of fades out of existence. That doesn't negate other or people maybe being upset about whoever this house god was right other people and other people maybe even in the same town right Right. could have been pissed off about this person being a house god in this one person's house but it was very personal right so but i think even we'll focus on hitler yep there are billions of people literally i'm sure who absolutely hate the man Mm -hmm. but us hating him doesn't negate or remove the, the people that he had. The people who worship him. It sucks that those people exist. Yeah. But yeah. they do, and we like until we deal with that, like dealing with the the problem of Hitler as a deity is sort of very like way down the list for me 
on the list of like Nazi yeah. problems to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird to think of him that way, but they do honor him in that way. Mm -hmm. So for him, he is kind of a god. To his particular worshippers. To his particular worshippers. The Midnight Dove had a question. What way would there be to approach work that deals with both having generational oppression and generational suppression on both sides of your family? Again, shadow work. <laughs> yeah. Start with shadow work. But yeah. be prepared for that. But be and prepared. be prepared for it to suck. Please yeah. listen to the shadow work episode. Uh -huh. And yeah. have a support system in place and knowing you're going to do this work. And and really search yourself. Is this something that you want to do? Are you feeling called to do it for a reason? Is it something that is necessary? Or is it something, once you've done some shadow work on it, that uh, you realize maybe you don't need to do after all? Mm -hmm. All ancestor work that deals with the, the troubled ancestors, mm -hmm. I think, should should start with shadow work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Rhiannon Grace says, I see, I suppose that's just a difference in our paths, because even if difficult, I do believe they could be bound and brought down in power. Yeah, I don't think you can bind a god. I think you can keep a, a god out of your business. You can ward against a particular god being in your particular business. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can, like, bind a god so that they never work with anyone again. Yeah. We'll put it that way. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that would work, Rand. Yeah. For me personally, that doesn't make sense. That's just not. That's just not how my cosmology rolls. But that doesn't mean that isn't how yours does. No, yeah, absolutely. So right. Do what you do. I just different can't. I just can't agree with you on this one. Right. Yeah. All, All right. right. Yeah. So is that I think, it? Yeah, I think we've sort All of right. run the full length of this episode. Yeah, I think right. we're starting to go down kitten trails. Kitten trails. Yeah. <laughs> so you have been listening to the Three Pagans and a Cat podcast. If you want to find out more about us. You can look us up on all the typical social media platforms, mm -hmm. or you could just go to that little thing called Google mm -hmm. and type in the number three and then P-A-A-C, three pack. Mm -hmm. Shit will pop up. Yep, you'll find lots, us on lots of shit will pages pop up. and pages <laughs> of it. You can find us on Pagios Pagan, which is where I do some writing. Mm -hmm. And Only only, only Gwen. Only me. We got a Redbubble. We got a Patreon. We got a Discord. We got, we got a Facebook. YouTube. We got a YouTube we never use. <laughs> but we're around. Yep. And we've obviously, we've got a Patreon. So if you'd like to support this podcast, we would love that. And you can come and listen to us. Live. Do all this nonsense live. Or watch us. Or watch us on Get Vocal. Yes. All right, I'm gonna stop the thing. Well, maybe I'm not. No, you're not gonna stop the thing. I can't I'll move. Stop the I'll get. Just I'll get around. My knees are not thing. working well enough right. to do that. Anyway, the point is, have a blessed autumn equinox. We love you. What Thank you for joining us. Up, and uh, see you later. Down.